0: Broadcasting live from an unnamed hostile country in violation of an international nuclear treaty, I'm your pilot, Garrett Dr. Movie Strother. And with me, of course, is my wingman,
1: Seamus Kenny Loggins Connolly.
0: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I put you on the spot for the call sign, but you delivered. Ooh, so I, I th-
1: That was a deer in the headlights <laughs> moment that I just had to power through.
0: Well, I think you handled it wonderfully. <laughs> Thank we, you. of course, are talking about Tom Cruise in top gun maverick this week but first we've got news to get into starting us off several pieces of news that i can't believe you haven't heard about <laughs> surrounding joker 2 which just went from a movie that i had maybe the least amount of interest in to maybe the movie i have the most interest get in? out of here get out of here what are you
1: even talking there about? are two
0: integral pieces of <laughs> neither of them are mega confirmed but it seems like they're happening pretty okay. much one Starring opposite Joaquin Phoenix in Joker 2, likely in the role of one Harley Quinn. Oh my god. Is Lady Gaga.
1: Whoa, okay. I am... Alright, okay. Part Part two, You got me on the hook. Let's see if you can reel me in. What do you got?
0: It's a musical.
1: Shut your damn mouth, Garrett Strother. How... Shut up! How is that even possible?
0: I don't know, and that oh sounds my- like the biggest <laughs> swing in the world, and I want to see it so much.
1: I'm back in, baby. I'm back in. That's that's bonkers nonsense. One, I think that Lady Gaga being cast as Harley Quinn is kind of iconic. I think that's kind of dope. That's almost perfect, if you ask me. If she can maybe nail the voice, I don't know. I'm 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 into it, but I will do anything for the musical part of this to be true because that would make it at least entertaining and not just like a weird stressful incel thing this would it would be like a <laughs> like now it's i assume it's gonna be like uh inside harley quinn's head she sees stuff as like musical numbers maybe she's a she's a wacko
0: well if if i take joker at on its own terms you know a, a thing i don't like to do <laughs> you see um what's his name arthur yeah. Think about his progression through that film. I mean, the integral part of the film, right, before he becomes the Joker. Spoilers for Joker, mm-hmm. I guess. Um,
1: where <laughs> Joker becomes, becomes Joker,
0: yeah. Uh, the Joker, when he kills the guys on the subway, the first thing he does is he goes into the bathroom and does that, like, bizarre, oh, yeah. beautifully shot little dance with classical music that we're presuming is playing in his head during that scene. Interesting. And so, like, the escalation of that setup to a fully fledged musical actually kind of makes sense to me. And I hate that that's, like, working for me, but it really (laughs) is because Joker is not a film I liked. I think it's so sophomoric. Yeah. But if it's leaning into some of the more interesting parts, a big problem I had with Joker is that it was just this derivative nonsense. And this does Mm. not sound (laughs) derivative like you said
1: it's it's a huge swing and if it connects it's gonna i don't know maybe change the landscape of what dc's doing they're gonna they're gonna do like more interesting stuff like that which would maybe save almost every boring ass franchise that they're going for in the dc universe right now
0: next um uh next movie batman robert pattinson he's in a nirvana cover band <laughs> that's
1: pretty good that's pretty funny i could i could 100 see pattinson bruce wayne doing like a weird musician thing (laughs) but i was also gonna say imagine joker 2 opening with like the arkham block tango style chicago musical number imagining cutting between like super spectacular broadway style numbers to like really really bleak 70s gotham again i think would actually work for I'm me really well
0: so into that yeah right uh,
1: uh well i hate you for making me excited for this <laughs> but i guess thank you i all i knew is that it was happening and then i was like get out of here i'm out and then i just never read more into it
0: well speaking of this is a transition you won't understand uh, speaking of cell block tangos we got some paddington news
1: this uh week i know well. that i know that little bear is a is a criminal i know he goes <laughs> to prison
0: so paddington 3 which w- was already announced uh, and we knew that paul king wasn't dr- returning for a third film which is a shame it has its official title which is paddington in peru begins shooting early next year and it's being directed by dougal wilson who is not a director i'm familiar with at all it looks like it's going to be his first feature and he's done apple commercials and music videos and stuff like that before like good well shot visually compelling stuff i think very much in line with my pick for this would have been autumn de wild probably who did the the latest emma movie oh and sure she yeah has that kind of distinct visual style that paddington needs and i think that's largely the decision making behind this so i wish paul king were coming back but as resident paddington fan very excited about this
1: yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad we got the seal of approval on this one because you are like the genuine archivist of the only stuff I know about Paddington. And with a with a title, do we have any idea of a release date coming with that? Because I would love to do a little double feature to get caught up with you.
0: Um, if it starts shooting early 2023, I would think at the earliest we'd be getting an actual release early 2024.
1: Okay, That gives me plenty of time to actually sit down and watch these movies that I have literally no reason to have not watched already by now. It's
0: simply true. (laughs) I will say, I'm a little confused. This doesn't mean anything to you, but for our listeners, uh, those of you familiar with the Paddington franchise, where we leave Paddington at the end of Paddington 2 doesn't seem like a very natural place for him to return to Peru. So I'm very curious about... Uh, how they're going to do that and what is going to motivate him to go there
1: an interesting piece of information I just learned you said return to Peru so I don't
0: know what the hell these movies are going to be about (laughs) (laughs) well you'll soon find out I'm sure Seamus
1: oh thank god but moving on over to our next piece of news which I guess I know even less about is
0: Eh, that's not exactly true
1: uh, you know, I guess I got I got two seasons under my belt. HBO is developing a Jon Snow sequel series to Game of Thrones, which I thought I knew spoilers about the finale of that show, but I guess I don't. I I <laughs> I don't know. Do you think this is worth picking back up with that character? I know they were doting around some like, super ancient history Targaryen prequel stuff coming up soon. So, is, is this a good move for them to go back to this one?
0: For me, personally, I haven't been interested in Jon Snow since, like, season three. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, great.
0: But, I mean, anything could work, right? I think there are, and again, for, for your sake, I won't spoil any characters that I would be interested in seeing return to this, or uh, speculate about what Jon Snow would be doing in this series. Mm. But... I am interested in the idea of continuing the story of Game of Thrones, which is a dumb thing to say when (laughs) the continuation of the story of Game of Thrones should have just been doing three more seasons and not rushing the last season because you want to get to your Star Wars trilogy so bad. Doesn't sound like Benioff and Weiss are coming back, which, as far as I'm concerned, is excellent news. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's what um, I that's what I hear.
0: I mean, they did really good seasons, like, like they did, what, like, six really good seasons of Game of Thrones, and then just were too selfish and too short-sighted to actually properly finish the series off, and also the things that they've said since then, like, themes are for 8th grade book reports. They can God. absolutely just go far away from me with that nonsense, because... Yeah, insane.
1: They, they are so blatant, they had so blatantly phoned it in, and then just verbally confirmed it over and over again that they just could not bring themselves to care. And so many people cared about that ending. But I guess with what you're saying, it would be interesting from what I do know about that finale and people's thoughts on that finale, that this is maybe their second try to, to go at it with less, I guess they didn't even have source material to confine them in that last season. But well, this is
0: uh... a thing that I've wondered about this announcement. Because obviously they had to compress and I'm assuming in some capacities deviate from what Martin's current plan is Mm. for the end of the series, the book series. Is this them taking that and adapting that? That's what I want to know. Or is it like the writers are just going off crazy?
1: (laughs) I almost wanted to be the second one, but at at this point, they're probably just going to follow the Mandalorian formula, and they just make enough spinoffs where everything is the same thing, and then everyone is forced to watch everything, and then (laughs) HBO gets their money.
0: Jon Snow finds a little White Walker (laughs) baby. yes, exactly. I was going to say dragon baby, but then, you know, those just turn into big dragons, so... We already did that, kind of. Yeah,
1: we we already got that. We got that coming in the in the prequel, and we had in the main series. All I know is that that guy Kit, what's his name? Kit is Harrington. Just gonna He's gonna keep being sad, probably. I mean, I don't know if he gets happy by the by past the point that I'm at, but he's um, a sad lad.
0: So yeah, I I guess I'll watch this, but I'm not like super jazzed for it. Uh, I don't think there's much to say about it, other than that, because there isn't a lot of information out right now but i'm sure we'll keep updated as the cast list expands and as you maybe rewatch or catch uh, back up on eventually
1: Game of i will have to do that i'll just have to bite the bullet i i, I keep lying to myself and saying that i'll read those thick ass books but i mean I, i'll probably just watch the show eventually but, we've got hbo i mean it, yeah. i know that at least most of it is good television i mean it almost takes the it, it kind of takes the pressure off of the last couple seasons or at least the finale that I like I know what's coming I can brace myself everybody came in to that finale with such high expectations it just like crumbled so it might be to the benefit of my viewing experience
0: all right should we move on though to our main segment in the danger zone let's do it for today's main segment we're going to be covering top gun maverick the new legacy sequel to the 1986 classic question mark top
1: gun i think classic has a period after that garrett and i would thank you not to disrespect me ever again like that thank you
0: it's a it's a thing it's an interesting (laughs) thing for me because i do enjoy i genuinely do enjoy the first top gun i wouldn't say it's a good movie it's not a movie i would say i have a tremendous affinity for probably especially like prior to this being announced slash
1: coming out and i'll admit that in my steadfast defense of the original i have seen it twice in my life and the second time was a couple weeks ago before we saw this new one and maybe it was because i didn't love it when i saw it as a kid when i had my own little vhs copy of it but rewatching it now it just really did it for me for some reason and it I I will also say that the new one, I think, makes the original better, oh, if I'm being honest. Like, like
0: any good sequel, it makes the original better, I, I would argue. And I think I had a similar trajectory where I didn't really like it the first time I saw it. I want to say probably in high school. Enjoyed it a lot more watching it this time. I think we've made our stances on it clear. I think this is the first legacy sequel that I can decidedly say is better than the original.
1: None others come to my mind right off the bat, but I think I agree with you 100%. I'd watch Maverick over the original any day. And granted, I'm going to 100% buy whatever 4K 2-pack is going to come out just for posterity to have that original. But man, is this new one really good. I mean, I'd be very interested in doing a
0: straight double feature, like go right from one into two. it would be a lot of fun. I was honestly really surprised how much of the first one was in this movie and integral to this movie.
1: I mean, yeah, even, like, seemingly really inconsequential background stuff from the original is, like, really important in this new one. It had that legacy sequel reference ping, of course, in in a lot of key moments, but it was such a good movie standing on its own two feet that I, I don't know, maybe a lot of the weird things we were saying about our expectations with Doctor Strange last week, like, do not even come close to uh, anything that we saw in this movie here.
0: You talk about those nostalgia pings, those legacy sequel references, and I feel like something I really admired about this movie was when it used them. It used them for character moments. It used them to really set stuff up well, and there's stuff that I'm shocked shocked was not referenced in this movie i'm glad it wasn't because it didn't matter it wasn't relevant they used it to establish the growth of progression in the what 40 years since the first one like 36 i think is uh, 1986 yeah boy tom cruise looks good huh
1: oh man he is i would say that I think he had a little Vin, Vin Diesel, uh, CGI touch up, but I know that's all him. He's got his American Psycho skin routine that he has to do every morning because he he looks great. He really I, does. I do think I do
0: think that based on like pictures I see in behind the scenes stuff and everything, even if it's not necessarily touching up with CG which I think is just a common practice across all big movies now. Probably it's also about, like, the angles you're shooting him from and stuff like that. He definitely lets himself be unflattering in this movie a few times, mostly when, I don't know if the, the listener at home is aware of this, the actors are actually flying the jets in this movie, and you see the G-Force on their face.
1: To be clear, they are not flying these planes. (laughs) They are in the planes while they are being flown, right?
0: They shot this movie. On every plane was like eight different 6K IMAX cameras.
1: Oh my god. I would love to see a picture of that gear set up on the outside of a fighter jet. They had multiple
0: ones mounted outside the planes, plus two mounted inside the plane looking at the pilot, plus four mounted inside the plane looking out the cockpit, giving them the, like, panorama view, essentially. Right, right,
1: right. That's insane. I want to watch this movie again. Definitely with that... You know, in my mind, I I almost regret that we didn't see it in 4DX was an option in some places, and I I think we would have died in that theater if we'd gotten any more intense than a regular
0: IMAX. I really wanted to see this movie in Dolby. Unfortunately, Jurassic World has usurped it. Uh. Fingers crossed, because this movie just, I think today, actually, at time of recording, crossed the $800 million mark, making it tom cruise's most profitable movie worldwide ever
1: that's insane Um, but i I, it's a great movie i guess that's that's a good attaboy right there it is the movie of the
0: summer for sure because also i I believe it's a movie that has made over a hundred million dollars that has the least second week drop ever really
1: man that is insanely impressive i gotta say that's i think well deserved i would say that there was nothing about this movie i really disliked as far as i can remember and again i would like to rewatch it because i was just such a distracted amazed little boy kicking my little feet in the theater just loving everything that i was seeing but well 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 deserved
0: i also want to clarify that that is movie that's made over 100 million dollars in its opening
1: weekend you don't really see this outside of like A Massive Avengers or whatever But like everyone was loving it And talking about it so much that Frankly before it had It's early screening at I think it was Comic Con right? Uh, I don't know I
0: don't know what you're talking about
1: Before it had one of it's early screenings where the word was starting to finally Get out I really didn't Care too much about this movie coming out And then I got you know kind of excited I got way more pumped after watching the first one But movie of the summer I think is a great Way to put it for this one
0: you and I have different approaches to this movie because I have a deep-seated <laughs> love of what Tom Cruise is doing in his career right now and has been doing for the last decade. I am a Mission Impossible mega-fan. Edge of Tomorrow is a film I love very much. Mm. Not only is Tom Cruise involved in this, but also his frequent collaborator, who is involved in all of the things I just mentioned, also wrote it, which is Christopher McQuarrie. He's directed the last two Mission Impossible movies. He's directing the next two Mission Impossible movies. He wrote Edge of Tomorrow. He is a Tom Cruise boy. He's like Tom Tom (laughs) Cruise's guy now.
1: He's Tom Cruise in a Mission Impossible style mask is what he is, I think. (laughs) I
0: mean, honestly, you never know. You (laughs) genuinely never know. They made that great, you remember, a few years ago, there was that, Hi, I'm Tom Cruise, and I'm Christopher McQuarrie, and we're all the set of Top Gun Maverick telling you to turn motion smoothing off on your televisions. Oh
1: yeah, oh yeah. It
0: sounds like it came out a million years ago.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna say.
0: I do want to get into the plot of this movie and, like, the intricacies of this movie, but I think, honestly, not that the plot is the most important part of this movie, even though I'm shocked at how well (laughs) I think maybe we're just gonna call spoilers because I think with a legacy sequel like this even just where the characters are at the beginning of the movie is something that you want to kind of experience for yourself especially because As we're going to break down almost right away, I think when we get into spoilers, this is like the best written first 20 minutes of a film I've seen all year, I think, maybe. I
1: I really agree. I thought it was such a a dynamite opening of this movie, so So should we we break the dam? Yeah, let's do it. Okay.
0: The opening of this movie, I think, is just, you face an impossible task with writing a sequel to Top Gun. Jerry Bruckheimer did an interview in the 90s, I was reading about this, where somebody asked him about the possibility of doing a Top Gun sequel and he was like, that would be unwise or something. <laughs> like, something along those <laughs> a lines. A very
1: ominous warning.
0: And I know that there was also in, like, 2010-ish, Tony Scott was thinking about coming back and doing uh, a sequel like that was in active development with Paramount hmm. that obviously was shelved after his untimely death in 2012. But... The idea of approaching Maverick is a really difficult character to pull off because he has to still be a Maverick. That's core to his character, but mm. he also has to learn all of the stuff. He has to have all of the stuff that he learned in the first movie, right? Like about being a team player and about being humble and all this stuff. The way this movie opens, Maverick is, what do they say? He's the fastest man alive when he's up in that <laughs> yeah. test flight.
1: When he's doing like mock 10 point five or whatever yes because
0: he does Mach 10 and then he's supposed to stop and he keeps going and that's (laughs) the like so there's multiple parts of this that are the Maverick element right to this opening because General Ed Harris is going to show up at this (laughs) airbase and he's going to ground their project because they haven't made the progress that they need to make to get up to Mach 10 right so Maverick has to get up in that plane and he has to go mock 10 or else they're shutting it down he does it and he goes ahead and he's he's bucking the rules and bucking authority because oh, that's yeah. who he is but at the same time he's not doing it because his ego's writing checks his body can't cash <laughs> he's doing it because he doesn't want his team to To get fired. He doesn't want him to get laid off. He's doing it for them.
1: Yeah, exactly. He he pulls up on his motorcycle to the hangar, and everyone's just, like, really sad. And it doesn't take... I mean, of course, he's Maverick. It won't take much to convince him to go strap himself to an actual rocket, but, like... (laughs) again it's immediately showing that this character has not devolved again back and he'll need to you know relearn his lessons like so many legacy sequels have their main characters do it shows that he is in his core he's a fighter pilot he says it when he comes back from that he that's like who he is in his in his heart and body and everything but he's he's doing it for others who believe in him just as much as he believes in them it's it's very touching right off the bat and also incredibly intense right off the bat. That test flight was no joke. Is it's, it's putting those IMAX speakers to the to the test right off the bat.
0: When the plane goes over Ed Harris, like exactly in the center of the rig, <laughs> you just see the air just
1: oh, so good. And I I remember we were sitting there and there's that great moment where he's sitting at Mach 10 and you like you see that look in his eyes, that Maverick look, and you know what he's gonna do. And I was sitting next to our boy Fritz, and he he just whispers out loud, don't do it. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? And I was like, you know he's got to do it, man. You uh, know he's got to push the limits.
0: Because he wrecks that plane, Seamus. Oh, he wrecks it because he, he can't help himself.
1: should have... Burned up, he should have blown into a bajillion Tom Cruise pieces in that explosion. He just gives it the old patented Tom Cruise tuck and roll when he hits the ground at a thousand miles an hour, and he walks in all dusty into a, into a diner for a really good, good laugh and transition over.
0: Let's talk director, Joseph Kaczynski. Actually, he's not a stranger to legacy sequels. His directorial debut, of course, being, do you know? No, I, no idea i don't know if you've seen this movie or not tron legacy
1: i have not but i've again heard incredible things that's maybe one of the other legacy sequels that i've heard about in our time that was that like stood up to what it was trying to do
0: i think that it's definitely a more enjoyable movie than the original tron <laughs> because the original tron is boring. yeah <laughs> but that movie is insane and there is, there Whispers of a Tron three, just like, so, you know, I don't know if Kaczynski would come back for that or whatever, but he also did, of course, oblivion with Tom Cruise. Also another
1: movie I have not seen and mixed up with edge of tomorrow for years. I have not
0: seen it either, but I would like to, I mean, because Tom Cruise and Joseph Kaczynski, they are, they work well together. And then he just did a came out today on Netflix as of recording Spiderhead with also Miles Teller and Chris
1: Hemsworth. Oh, that's two huge names in a movie that I have never heard of in my life.
0: Well, Netflix is really bad at marketing their good movies, as you know, so...
1: Yeah, they, they did one tweet about how they're doing movies every week or whatever, and that was, that was all we got
0: they're really good at marketing Red Notice or whatever, you know, Red Notice, yeah. Maybe we should do that for the show. That Nightmare Alley double feature.
1: Oh wow, the 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 what the fans are clamoring for.
0: In this movie though, we have almost no returning cast. There is of course Thomas Cruise as Sir Taylor Thomas Maverick. Sir Thomas Cruise, yes. There is additionally Val Kilmer, who I think we should Talk about Iceman's role in this with greater depth in a second, because I think it's really handled well.
1: Absolutely, I, I would love to get into that with you. Jennifer
0: Connolly as Maverick's love interest, who owns the bar on the Navy base, which is fun. John Hamm is like the ba- the big bad guy. John, uh, bad I almost forgot John guy. Hamm was here. Ed Harris, we already talked about. Glenn Powell is doing. He's one of the pilots' hangman. He's kind of the Ice Man of this movie, except he's the jerk instead of no. Yeah, the guy he's actually
1: writing. a bully who is like. I don't know if he ever really gets his come up. Like he never really learns his lesson. He, he does in this though. Movie. He
0: he learns.
1: Oh yeah, he learns he to get
0: along with the other. But he just well, his comeuppance is not getting to go on the the final on the mission. Sure, uh, mission. But then of course he goes ahead and saves. Jumping ahead to the end of the movie, he saves Maverick's life at the end.
1: And and Miles and Taylor. Rooster. Wait, who we'll talk Rooster, about Rooster. Right.
0: I want to. I want to run through the other supporting characters before we get to Rooster. Okay. Okay. So we've got Bob. Yeah. Who? who I mean, he was my personal favorite. <laughs> of he was great. The pilots.
1: Honestly, I wish there was more Bob in this movie. There's probably a lot of cut Bob content.
0: Yes, I absolutely. I absolutely wish that there was more Bob in this movie, but he's great in (laughs) what he's in. I think he's really, he's the nerdy, meek one of the group, but he's like, he's a really good, what is he, he's like the co-pilot on one of the other jets.
1: Yeah, he's the guy that like, he pushes his glasses farther up on the bridge of his nose and becomes like the badass tech, like really good sidekick guy.
0: Who is Lewis Pullman from Bad Times at El Royale, who I learned after seeing this movie, is Bill Pullman's son. (laughs) What? No kidding. So that's a fun little piece of... Whatever. Last supporting character before we get back to Rooster is Phoenix, who's the la- There's a lady pilot in this one. Yeah, you know. she's great. She, yeah, she, she's I mean, dope. she's really. I don't mean to, I don't mean to say that condescendingly or, <laughs> or glibly. I just mean it because uh there, like in the first Top Gun, there are no female pilots. It's all these young twenty something dudes, and she's standing right up there. They make it clear she's up there as one of the best pilots, if not the mm-hmm. best pilot in the group. But let's talk about Miles Teller's Rooster. The son of Goose and whatever Meg Ryan's name is in the first <laughs> Top Gun.
1: Oh, man. Honestly, maybe maybe the second movie I've seen Miles Teller in that I actually really, really liked him. I, I don't necessarily think that I've seen a lot of his movies or like him a lot when I see him. But maybe I'm putting too much weight on the Fantastic Four movie that he was in.
0: I mean, he's great in Whiplash.
1: That's the other one. The first
0: movie. movie I remember seeing him in is The Spectacular Now with Shailene Woodley, uh, which is yeah, a fine I movie. One. I don't think that's a bad... <laughs> I think he's good in it. I think she's good in it. Well, actually, no, that's not... That's the first movie that I like knew who Miles Teller was. Because he's also in the Footloose remake, which I think came out before that.
1: Oh, really? Is he
0: the is he the guy? No, he's the he's the he's the Randy Quaid.
1: Ah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha.
0: Which I mean, th- that Footloose movie is fine. It's probably as good as the original Footloose. That's not what we're here to talk about, though.
1: No, um, we are not
0: he's a I, divergent I, th- I think yeah What?
1: all right i guess I, I okay well i guess i'm learning that i've seen three Deller movies and one of them was the fantastic four and the other two were great
0: he is really good although i will say he's a little close to letting to letting glenn powell steal that show from him um mm. he looks so much like oh my god yeah the edwards and meg ryan it's insane
1: honestly a little creepy but it's if you're gonna make a legacy sequel, just just go all out and get the guy that looks exactly like him. I guess it's well, it's like they planned it.
0: It was down to three guys for Rooster. Oh man, was Miles Teller who was clearly the the right choice. Glenn Powell who is too machismo for it. Mm-hmm. So they gave him this other role and Nicholas Holt who I think would have been also Real. a really good choice.
1: I could have seen, I could have honestly seen Nicholas Holton like the Bob role, if I'm being honest. He's too I, big for
0: Bob though. He's, you think he so?
1: Oh, okay. Well, this isn't my perfect world where Bob is like the second lead of this movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Forget Rooster. It's all Bob. It's all, all Bob and Maverick.
1: That's it. He, like, Rooster shows up and he's like, yeah, whatever. I'm going, I'm going with this guy. He's cooler.
0: Oh, also we should shout out our, our boy Jason from the Good Place is also <laughs> one of the pilots with no lines. Just like <laughs> yeah. Bad Times Royale, he shows up to be like handsome and <laughs> in the background.
1: Oh, God bless him. God bless him. I love that guy. I love seeing him with no lines and everything else that's not the good place.
0: Oh, but he's so good on the good place. So do you know his name? Well, I don't know his name. I feel embarrassed.
1: Uh, that Really, I just call him Xian Yu, which is even stupider <laughs> than calling him Jason, but that's what I know him
0: as. It's kind of like how every time Pillboy shows up in everything for the rest <laughs> yeah. of the time, we will go Pillboy, Pillboy. and then kiss heaven, and then <laughs> I will never learn his name.
1: Uh, yeah, they're both great. I think they should be in uh, Top Gun 3, Top Gun Maverick 2.
0: They have to make a Top Gun 3 now, right? I think after the success and, and acclaim of this movie, I would love it if they didn't. I would like them uh, to yeah. stop Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, uh, they, they should just...
1: They're they're pitching a, well, they're pitching a pretty good game with the with, the, with both of them, with the with these two. So I I would like them to just shelf it where it is and let it be. But if they don't do it now, in the next couple of years, they're gonna do it in another twenty. So I guess we might as well do it while Miles Teller is still uh still on the board.
0: In 20 years, Tom Cruise has to be retired, right?
1: No. What? What are you talking about? I genuinely think he's going to be the oldest working actor in Hollywood until he dies on a set. And I know I joke about that, but he's going to... No, like... I
0: think I agree with you 100%. He's going to die doing some insane <laughs> stunt. I don't know if there will be... I don't know if 8 is going to be the end of the Mission Impossible's, Missions Impossible, rather. <laughs> or if he's just going to be doing crazy stunts for other movies but i love this story i sent it to you a couple days ago miles teller one time when they were up in the plane he got really really sick and he had to go to the doctor and find out what it was and he was super jazzed to find out that among other things there was literally jet fuel in his blood bloodstream that was like making him ill which i mean he gets back to set Tom Cruise asks him he's like so Miles like did you go to the doctor like what'd you find out and Miles Teller's like yeah it turns out I've got jet fuel in my blood and without missing a beat Tom Cruise goes I was born with a kid (laughs) oh my god
1: he's so cool I hate that he's so cool because he's like maybe not great of a person but he's so cool I can't help it he is the
0: greatest living entertainer it's, I think, without question, probably.
1: I, I, I think so. Top three, at the very least. Like, I think back on his weird Christian Bale blow up, which was during the filming of this movie, right?
0: That was during the filming of Mission Impossible Seven, because right, you know right, about right. his crazy, like buying out a <laughs> yeah. cruise liner to like keep everybody isolated on set and stuff.
1: That to me proves that he has a lot more maverick in him. It's like he his intensity comes from like not only is he the author of his own like filmmaking journey, he's like everyone's relying on me, Tom Cruise, to do all of this and. Well-
0: And I'm not defending his blow up because treating anybody, especially like PAs, like that is completely unacceptable. And I want to make that clear. But if you listen to the content of what he's saying in that audio, it's very much exactly what you're talking about because they were one of the first productions back after COVID started, you know, and he's like, everybody in Hollywood is looking at us, looking at me, Tom Cruise, about (laughs) how do you make a movie during this pandemic safely how do you do it well? we need everybody on board to make sure that everybody else here's safe and that's the other part of it is that he, he's simultaneously like everybody's looking at us the entire world is looking at us about how to do this and and can it be done and also you're endangering everybody in this production by not wearing your mask and not taking it seriously. And I think I mean he's right about all that stuff. Again, it's completely unacceptable to say of course, it that of way. Of course. But speaking of COVID, the fact that this movie was delayed so long, I feel so bad for all these young actors that have been waiting like
1: Oh my god, yeah three
0: years for this movie to drop finally.
1: At the very least now they are part of this insane milestone record-breaking film and I guess I wish I could have seen this sooner but I guess I wasn't even as excited as I was until right before we saw it and it was just such a perfect experience.
0: I'm so glad that you were as jazzed as I was Seamus especially because the heart of this movie is so human and it's telling such a good story between Rooster and Maverick and Mm -hmm. how it's not as simple as Rooster hates Maverick and blames him for Goose's death. Although that's a little bit in there.
1: Oh yeah, there's there's some there's a little bit of dark subtext.
0: It's more that Maverick blames Maverick for Goose's death. That's a huge part of this movie. Yeah, definitely. It's it's it's
1: uh, like you were kind of we were chatting before. There are some genuinely heartbreaking scenes in this movie where he has to like kind of wrestle with a lot of that stuff.
0: Every time he's up in the air and he says, "Talk to me, Goose." Oh, and your heart
1: just breaks. God, yeah, that is that really got me to flutter there when we were in the theater.
0: There's also the Miles end,
1: Teller. Yeah. Oh, man. Talk to me, Dad? Isn't that what he says? Yeah,
0: he says, talk to me, Dad. Oh, so good. The thing that's really interesting, and it's addressing the fact that the age of Rooster in the first one, doesn't really line up with him being at Top Gun. There's two parts of it that are like, that they intentionally put in the movie to make it work, which are one, these aren't Top Gun recruits. These are people that are Top Gun graduates coming back to Top Gun to train for this new mission about the, as we alluded to in our intro, this unknown rogue nation that is against international treaties, developing nuclear weapons. We learn over the course of the film that Maverick pulled rooster's papers from initially going to top gun when he like should have like when he was young or, enough to not, not even
1: top gun it was to the naval academy oh, i thought right. he like fully yeah, right. pulled him from his like i guess at that point his lifelong dream to be like his dad to be like his his uncle maverick you know to do what he really wanted to do i thought that was really devastating stuff and we do learn through the course of the movie that it was for like equally devastating reasons that he pulled those papers
0: so yeah, Maverick doesn't trust Rooster. He doesn't think he's a good enough pilot, which is Maverick reflecting his own insecurities and, and guilt about his father's death mm. onto Rooster. But we also see Rooster, the through line through this movie is that he doesn't go fast enough. He doesn't take enough risks because he's trying to avoid an accident like his father's death.
1: Yeah, I, I thought that was that was very interesting. I love the training simulation montage that they do. the mission i think that was so intense and great doing the even before they're even in the real canyon with the the aa guns pointed at them and they have to like stealth fly uh an f-18 as fast as they possibly can i it was just very well done and and maybe that again is a lot of the performances of those actors in the planes just like (laughs) screaming and groaning because they're actually getting their their organs whipped around but it was great and his evolution of, like, taking it slower and being safer, and then matching that with Maverick going, look at how fast I can do this and how recklessly and perfectly I can do this <laughs> to prove to you that you're being too safe and slow is is very funny to me.
0: A thing I think a lot about this movie, there's training montages, there's, like, a straw man kind of vaguely bad guy. Actually, there's two of them because it's both John Hamm and Glenn Powell kind of play that yeah, role. Yeah. There is a unattainable gorgeous like perfect love interest who's barely fleshed out
1: oh, And do we even mention that she she is the admiral's daughter right from right, the yeah, first of course, movie she's Penny. That they, yeah they, they mention her once oh well, i think they mention her twice in the original like just as a joke to make it like oh look at you tom cruise you 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 womanizer or whatever you're you're breaking girls hearts and it's I mean, genuinely, from that seed to what we got with Jennifer Connelly, well, she could have been a little more fleshed out. I thought it was incredibly impressive that they could pull off something like that without it making me, like, groan at the the reference stuff. I thought they kind of pulled that off well.
0: That's the closest thing I would say that they really get to being like a, see? Like, from the first one, you get it? Yeah, exactly. But I think, like you said, it still gives her some gravitas. It gives them a history. Right, that's the thing yeah, that yeah. it really does is it makes us believe that they've known each other a really long time because Kelly McGillis, not in this movie, was not asked to come back for this movie. She did a really didn't great
1: interview. Mention her
0: <laughs> where she's like. Yeah, they didn't ask me back because I'm old and fat, and I don't want to be in it anyway. And I think good for Kelly Gillis, you know, like yeah, she,
1: yeah, get, she gets she gets that pass. It doesn't it doesn't
0: I, matter. I'm sure she got her royalty check from this movie because they do show her in some flashbacks, some stock. Footage. Oh yeah, good for her for getting her paycheck and not having to come in and do any work and, and for <laughs> knowing exactly what is up i think jennifer connelly like doing what she can with what she's given is doing a good job it's hard to find an age-appropriate love interest for tom cruise who looks as good as tom cruise
1: yeah they definitely they pull it off well i'd say i
0: I love their their take my breath it isn't actually take my breath away but their like take my breath away montage is them cuddling (laughs) and
1: chatting in bed it's a straight cutaway to pillow talk. It's like, it, it almost implied that they didn't even have sex, I think. And comparing that with the, maybe one of the more graphic sex scenes that I blocked out of my little kid memory from the original one, like, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a silly it dissonance is. between those two. I
0: mean, but I think that has to be intentional, right? When I'm looking at the direct parallels, this movie goes through so much work. To show you because it's not doing a retread of the first movie. It's using the similarities of the first movie and this one to show you the differences in the people, right? Because you see Maverick inverts and flips the bird just like he and Goose do in the first one. Except this time, instead of just being cocky and rude, he's the instructor. He's the one that's showing these kids that he knows how it's done. He can do it, Mm. you know. I really like that. The opening of this movie... Is beat for beat, shot for shot, with the Top Gun anthem into danger zone music transition, exactly the opening of the first one.
1: All right. So, I was going to actually ask that confirmed shot for shot, because I remember watching that and be like, wow, they did a great job making this feel like the original one, but I'm pretty sure I, it was. Right? I don't know.
0: I mean, I haven't studied the film, but it feels like shot yeah. for shot, a remake of the original, and that's the intention. It's putting you back in that world, in that mindset. They do a lot of like Maverick, you're a relic of the past thing, like <laughs> like they'd like to do in legacy sequels, except yeah. it works in this one. The intentionality behind the way that they do these callbacks is so effective. I mean, when Rooster does the piano Great Balls of Fire in the bar, oh yeah. That's a gut punch. Because you see Maverick seeing how much that kid loves his dad and wants to be like his dad and how maverick is the one that took his dad away from him at least that's how maverick sees it
1: and they never unless i'm mistaken he never reveals to rooster that like why he pulled his papers right he he still kind of like takes that responsibility when they have that confrontation later in the film
0: yes because it's time to talk about we were talking about the stuff <sighs> yes. from the first one that comes back in. we learned from iceman from val kilmer that Meg Ryan's character, who is dead at the time of this sequel, asked Maverick to pull his papers. But Maverick respects that wish and doesn't tell Rooster that.
1: Uh, he says something along the lines of, he's never going to forgive me. Why would I put that on his mother now, too? Yeah. Along those lines, which I respected a lot that they, they set that up and they did not pull the trigger later of, like, big dramatic revelation time. They, like, they kept that strong in maverick's character that again he is choosing to like kind of sacrifice a part of himself and a huge part of his relationship with basically his surrogate son at that point it's kind of implied that they had a relationship when he was growing up it was very well done it's so sad i almost almost makes me want another sequel with both of them in it a little more focused on them but what we got in that third act, uh, when they are actually flying the mission and they're like kind of saving each other back and forth, oh, I thought was when so they so good. Sacrifice
0: themselves for each other,
1: dude. That <gasps> that like mid air drift where he like uses his flares to to canopy Miles Teller's plane and from so the it missile. Takes the missile, yeah. Oh, oh man, dude, it's... that was that was that was it for me. And also, such
0: clear action storytelling such clear visual storytelling oh yeah i knew despite the fact that these jets are going how many miles an hour i don't even (laughs) know how many mocks they're going i knew exactly what was happening the entire time and that's a credit to how well shot how well edited these sequences are and how clear they are and it shows you you think about the world of cgi where theoretically you can tell anything and how often those kinds of cgi dogfights or whatever would be so hard to follow and so difficult to understand the geography of. And they shot this for real. Yeah. Working with real footage that has a lot more limitations. And those limitations, though, sometimes make it easier for us to understand what's going on. I can't imagine editing this movie. This movie should win best editing at the Academy I, Awards, probably. I because really I can't hope it imagine. gets its
1: I hope it gets its fair share of Oscar nods for sure. I think it deserves that and a lot more.
0: Going back to yes. Iceman.
1: Let's not stray too far from mr val kilmer
0: because val kilmer they basically adapt what val kilmer has dealt with in real life to his character kilmer in real life had a really bad battle with throat cancer and had two different tracheotomies making it basically impossible for him to speak and even like hard to breathe i was really impressed with what they did in the movie which is they Didn't have him talk very much. I do know that they did use for the one line he's got some AI tech to kind of reconstruct his voice for that last line. But the scene where Maverick goes to see him and they have that heart to heart is, I think, as again, somebody who doesn't have a tremendous affinity for the first movie, incredibly moving. One, because I have a tremendous affinity for Val Kilmer.
1: Mm, Yeah, of course.
0: But two, because there's so much respect paid, and this is something I was kind of hinting at earlier, I don't know, we talk a lot about sincerity on this show, and the sincerity of the media that we consume. And I don't know, the last time I saw this kind of movie, this is the way that blockbusters
1: just used to be. Yeah, we're we're, we're in a drought, so like actually seeing it like this is such a refreshing piece of media to consume.
0: Because, I mean, even the other Tom Cruise movies that I've kind of mentioned, the Tom Cruise, Chris Ricoria movies, even though there are, like, moments of sincerity and they take their characters seriously and everything like that, there are a lot of, like, we're having so much fun, aren't we? And not yeah, that this movie yeah, doesn't yeah. do that, but I think it has a deeper character current running through it, a more grounded one. Because even though it's an action movie, these aren't superheroes. These are These are very real, normal people with very real, normal problems, despite the fact that they fly these giant fighter jets. It has a lot more in common with the right stuff than Mission Impossible.
1: That scene alone, even before we get to another more, I guess maybe not more powerful, but another incredibly moving scene, um, when Iceman passes away and we go to his funeral and we see Maverick again, wrestling with all this all this stuff he came to Iceman with and the things that he gave him as advice, typing on his computer, like, very simple sentences. It wasn't like he was typing out big paragraphs or anything, but the delivery of him typing out the the really heartfelt advice you, and the way he they were looking at each other in Val Kilmer's office was just all of the history between them that we needed to see almost. It was just, like, such a real... Connection And again, maybe that was the nostalgia thing happening to me, but with very little voice delivery, Val Kilmer made it so that I knew so genuinely that they had a a real friendship and something so much more than what we actually got to experience that when we do get to his funeral and we see the devastation in Maverick's eyes and a lot of those pieces of advice clicking into place for him after his friend passed. It's it's just good filmmaking, man. I, I don't know what to say.
0: They do such a good job setting that up in those scenes. Also, earlier in the film, we see them texting, which I think is just a nice real-world touch. Oh, yeah, totally, for them. yeah. Val Kilmer, and I've never really thought about it till this movie, but it made me really reflect on it. I mean, he's doing such a good job non-verbally acting. You're totally right about that. He's maybe the greatest supporting actor I wow. can think of.
1: I think you're right. He is a
0: guy that whenever he shows up in a movie, that supporting role, he steal I mean, he's a great lead. Top secret. Come on. That's great. Oh I God, think his, Forget about it. Batman is underrated, frankly. I think he's great in Batman Forever. That uh, movie's I agree. Not great, but he's great. You think about like, the two Tombstone? ones... Tombstone? Tombstone and oh, Kiss, yeah. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang are the two oh, yes. I yes. think about when I think about Val Kilmer. And like, he is not the main character in either of those movies. But he's the character I think about when I think about those
1: movies. He's like the poster boy for those movies, having just been so good in his more limited role. It's it's almost unfair to the other people in those movies, but he's just so damn good. It's it's exactly what would happen anyway.
0: I've got the Tombstone Blu-ray. I'm looking at it right now. He's on the spine. It's not Kurt Russell.
1: Which I mean, again, love love them all in that movie. The old Paxson and all them together just unstoppable, but for whatever reason the cup flipping scene, him being oh, reintroduced yeah. to Johnny Ringo in the bar, it came up on my Reddit feed the other day and I just like stopped everything that I was doing, put on my nice headphones and watched like five minutes of this movie and it just sent shivers down my spine.
0: A thing I think about all the time is my dad said to me once, Tombstone, Val Kilmer in Tombstone, is the first time that he was ever watching a movie and thought this person should get an Oscar for this performance. And he didn't, which is wow. Shame. He's amazing. He's amazing. He
1: should have, absolutely, yeah.
0: This isn't a rec center because I've not watched it. Go everybody go watch. I'm gonna maybe I'm gonna do it tonight, honestly. The Val documentary on oh, Amazon.
1: Is that new or is it, that is new. that a little yeah, older?
0: It just came out.
1: Oh man, that is gonna be so good, but that is gonna be so sad towards
0: the end. Oh, totally. But well, I, I, celebrating like, for sure. And we talk about, you know, Tom Cruise as a private person probably not being the greatest. But at the same time, it's clear how much reverence Cruz has, like the way he shares that scene with him, he's (laughs) able to check that ego and give over that scene to Val Kilmer and Kaczynski and McCory and everybody else behind the scenes who are doing the work on that scene. It, it make it work and are so respectful. And I think this movie is so respectful.
1: 100%. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. Even, even before we got, like, on screen, Val Kilmer, when I was watching this movie and I thought it was just going to be more like maybe flashback Val Kilmer or... It was going to be mostly, if not only, the on-screen texting they were doing. I was like, you know, this is an interesting way to do this. It's, you know, showing that reverence and then we get to the actual scene with him and it's just like nothing but the utmost respect for him and his character and... His legacy and his character's legacy, cause he also kind of steals the show in the original Top Gun. Like, doesn't he have the quote that you can be my wingman anytime, isn't that him? Oh yeah, that's the top yeah, gun. Yeah, that's quote. that's the line. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's um You've got a and, shirt that says that. I yeah, think. exactly. I wore it to the movies. <laughs> because of what you were saying, you know, the respect of Tom Cruise, Christopher Corey, all, all the people behind this care this new evolution of Iceman and how much of real Val Kilmer they put into this character, I think that it probably wasn't too hard for them to realize this scene in terms of the amount of respect they wanted to pay to him. Because again, it's just like on the screen. You can see it in their face of Tom Cruise. You can hear it in the writing. You can feel it all the way through the rest of the movie when they when they take Iceman away from Maverick. It's just, it's it's very well done. And I think... It was mostly because it is val kilmer as a man is so respectable
0: absolutely i think you're totally hitting the nail on the head there
1: i think it's finally time we get into the final mission the climax of top gun maverick honestly now that i'm really thinking about it i think beat for beat the death star trench run in in a new hope right there's like there's a false alarm they have to pull away there's a
0: they're flying down in the trench in the canyon
1: john ham was like fine you can go maverick you have worn me down and you've shown me that you're the best pilot in the planet. on the planet, you can go and do the mission with everybody else. And he's like,
0: Yes. Which and he I runs off. That's a great character moment at the beginning. That's paying off is that Maverick thinks oh, yeah. he's
1: going. And they're like, yeah. No, you dummy, you're too old. Our bully boy gets grounded, he doesn't get to go, Tom Cruise finally relents with Miles Teller, and he agrees that he's ready to be a part of this mission, which, yeah, it was going to happen. The plane stuff,
0: mostly, is only the first half of that climax, because Maverick, as we talked about earlier, sacrifices himself for Rooster and gets shot down in enemy territory, and Rooster goes
1: back for him. And also gets shot down in enemy territory, and they... There's a funny little moment where he just shoves Miles Teller to the snow because he's angry, but that's kind of their final connection moment of like, not only is Miles Teller Rooster ready for this, this has been almost his goal. He wants to like achieve the greatness that him and his dad achieved in the first one, in, in a way.
0: Yeah, not only is Miles Teller up to the task, but Maverick is actually mature enough to let Rooster make his own choices. Yes, He's yes. not pulling the papers. He's not keeping him grounded. He's like, okay, I respect you enough to let you be the Maverick that I am. There it is.
1: And one of my favorite parts of the the very tail end here, Chekhov's F fourteen is sitting in the enemy hangar, oh, and they, yeah. they go, they fuel her up, they just like kind of briskly Tom Cruise walk across an enemy airfield to steal an F fourteen, and it's it's awesome.
0: That's like Ray getting in Luke's X-Wing, you know, that's, that, the, old, oh, yeah. that's the old ship. <laughs> it's a great third act. That ending is well worth the price of admission.
1: Oh, hell yeah. Seeing Maverick come back around after the missile miss and he just like totally eyeballs it using the force again, bringing it back to the Death Star trench run. It's so exciting to see that kind of intense action in the way that they did. I, I was fully fully on board and then our our bully boy hangman comes back and me personally doesn't necessarily make up for the fact that he brought up rooster's dead, dead father dead, in the yeah. middle of every everybody and like that was a huge jerk move for me i don't i don't know if what he necessarily did makes up for it, but he shows that he's willing to be a team player and it's it's
0: good i have to correct you Seamus. you say tom huh? cruise uses the force I will not stand for Bob Erasure in this podcast. Oh, my God. It is Bob that uses the Force without the targeting computer to make the shot.
1: I am a fool. You named me Bob in this recording lobby. How could I forget?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think we could go on and on and on and on.
1: Wait, I think we really could, and we will talk at nauseam about this again when we rewatch it together with your big old soundbar. But I think overall, I loved this movie. It was a really weird feeling to me because I'm not necessarily used to this caliber of blockbuster like completely satisfying me as a movie viewer but I find it very hard to come up with things that I disliked about this and I want to watch it again.
0: I agree on all accounts. I think it's one of the best blockbusters of the last 10 years. I've seen a lot of movies in IMAX. I don't know the last time I saw a movie use IMAX this well. Seamus, I would take the train <laughs> down to the loop in Chicago to catch the Dolby at AMC to watch it because there's not a Dolby in the state of Wisconsin.
1: Well, if you if you catch wind of something like that, let me know, and I'll be your wingman anytime. Hey, there he is. <laughs> Alright, should we should we reference? Let's do it. For this week's pop culture reference, we're gonna be doing stuff a little differently than usual. Apparently, Garrett Strawther, the maniac that he is and the Tom Cruise expert that he is, has the tale of how Tom Cruise first actually got cast and agreed to be in the original Top Gun, a story which I had never heard of. I thought it was just normal, normal business as usual, but I, I think there's a tale here. So Garrett's going to let us all know, and you'll probably just hear me laugh in the background the entire time.
0: We're going to definitely converse at the end. Because... Of course. I'm,
1: I'm going to have thoughts, I imagine.
0: Oh, you are... In the 1980s, prolific producer Jerry Bruckheimer was searching for a young actor to play the role of Maverick in the upcoming film Top Gun. At some point, Matthew Modine turned down the role for political reasons, though some reports indicate that Bruckheimer was set on Risky Business star Tom Cruise from the onset. Cruise, however, turned down the project multiple times. So the studio looked at the likes of Patrick Swayze, Emilio Estevez, Nicholas Cage, John Cusack, Matthew Broderick, Sean Penn, Michael J. Fox, Scott Bayo, John Travolta, and Tom Hanks. But Bruckheimer was set on Cruise. Bruckheimer called Cruise and asked him to at least take a ride in a real F-14 fighter jet before definitively turning down the role. Cruise agreed and went up with Blue Angels pilot, Lieutenant Commander Lloyd Bozo Abel who actually performed the Buzzing the Tower stunt in the first movie. In Bruckheimer's own words, quote, So they take Tom up there. They do 5Gs. They do barrel rolls. They do everything. He's heaving in the plane. He gets on the tarmac, runs to a payphone, and he said, I'm in. I'm doing the movie. I love it. This is great. (laughs) Cruise went up twice more before photography began. In addition to extensive time spent in fighter jets, The role of Maverick also required Cruz to ride what was, at the time, the fastest commercial motorcycle in the world, the Kawasaki Ninja 900. One problem, though, Tom Cruise didn't know how to ride a motorcycle, (laughs) so he went to a local motorcycle shop during production and took lessons in the parking lot. Additionally, Cruz has been quoted as saying that this is the first time the role he played was, quote, larger than life. And it was the first film that he had been involved with since before pre-production, giving him unique influence over the script and overall film. So, not only is this the story, Seamus, of how Tom Cruise got the role of Maverick, this is the story of how Tom Cruise became Tom Cruise.
1: Oh my- I was- that is insane. They hooked him on adrenaline? They drugged him to take this role, basically. They- they said, you want to feel like this forever, Tom? Do this movie with us. And he said, I'll do anything. And he's oh been my chasing God.
0: that high his entire career.
1: Honestly, his decisions on films, he probably has to at least meet that high in every movie. That's why he keeps going bigger every time now. That is amazing that he just became an adrenaline freak and, and sold himself on this movie. That's crazy.
0: It's not just the, you know, adrenaline junkie going up in the plane and immediately agreeing to do the movie. It's also the whole, you know, the learning to ride a motorcycle, which is a Tom Cruise staple now. I can't think the last movie I saw Tom I was Cruise in he did yeah. ride a motorcycle. He's
1: so natural on what was the fastest motorcycle in the world at the time. He looks really natural on that motorcycle in the first one. It's great. Well, speaking of motorcycles, hold on. Is that better for the reference or worse? <laughs> I don't know. I, don't, I'll, I might leave it in. Who knows? Oh, man. Well, honestly, so that's so funny. Because yeah, he went up in and came back from that plane ride a different man. I, truly, I think so. But
0: let's say you, we move on to our save the rec center. Let's do
1: it. Now it's time to save the rec center, where we give you our weekly recommendations. Let me ask you a question, Garrett. Are you a fan of first-person puzzle video games set in? Maybe less than humane scientific laboratories where a female robot voice is mean to you.
0: I know this isn't Portal, so I want you to tell me what it is so I can go download it right now.
1: Buddy boy, I have the game for you right now. I finally pulled the trigger on Superliminal. It's on sale yes. on the store right now. I've been. Every time it's on sale, I go, oh, I'm poor, I shouldn't buy video games, whatever. I finally did it. And it is an experience, Garrett Strather. It is so well done. It is, like, I wasn't expecting, like, heartfelt, genuinely moving themes to be accompanied in this really fun, wacky perspective puzzle game. But it's moving. The music is incredible. Just, like, the best jazz piano all day true to its name it's the most liminal thing and i mean even the original portal and portal 2 are some of the more liminal mainstream properties that anybody would actually know but this is just like peak liminal just creepy odd oddly calming at the same time you're like uncomfortable you have a feeling that there's somebody watching you but it's like you're literally the only player or character in the entire game so it's impossible but just the atmosphere and gameplay is untouchable compared to, I mean, maybe since actual Portal 2 have I not played a game, a puzzle game that I have loved so much. So grab it while it's 10 bucks. even at full price, it's like $20. I think it is well worth anything that you pay for it. It's. It's. I'm, I'm going to go back and play it a thousand more times because it's also the deepest in terms of level design puzzle game with... So many hidden secrets, areas that are out of the way, places that you can glitch yourself into that are somehow technically as a part of the game as anything else. It's truly great entertainment. I, I think you should go play it.
0: Well, I've wanted to play that since I first heard about it. And I will say, and this isn't a rec center exactly, but I just upgraded to the next highest PS Plus tier, the Ooh. the one that had that's basically Game Pass. Or I guess the top tier is basically Game Pass, but what, the one that's got all the billion PS4 and PS5 games. Yeah, oh
1: man, the list is huge.
0: So I think I'm set for a while, but Superliminal <laughs> yes, is yes. definitely something that I think next time it goes on sale, I'm definitely going to hop on it because I really want to play it, and I love that Portal, Stanley Parable mm. kind of umbrella.
1: Portal, I'm also happy you brought up Stanley Parable because I the entire time I've, I was playing... Superliminal, I could not stop thinking that it was the perfect marriage between those two exact games. So if you enjoy either or both, like I know you do, you snag it next time it's on sale. It's, well, it's definitely worth it. You've
0: definitely sold me. I'll, I'll check it out.
1: But what do you got this week, Garrett? Lay it on me.
0: Well, I'm, I'm going to sound like this is the most basic rec center I think I've <laughs> ever done. If you're somebody who, like me, Had kind of fallen off a little bit, enjoyed the last couple seasons, but maybe not been super convinced, especially with all of the Netflix stuff going on, that it was worth checking out. Let me tell you that at least the first half of Stranger Things Season 4 that has been released on Netflix at time of recording is the best the show has been since Season 1. Some of those episodes are the best television I've seen this year, I think, And and I'm a person who does consume a decent chunk of media i would say uh, so they have finally figured out what to do with a lot of their characters that they've spun their wheels on for a while they're still they still don't know what to do with mike but when will they ever figure out what to do with mike
1: <laughs> who cares about mike exactly
0: dude? <laughs> and that's what they figured out that's what that's the code they cracked oh hell who yeah who cares about mike <laughs> and i don't want to give too much away i know this is i mean i know it's all the, the viral on the tiktoks and everything else but for anybody who doesn't know, and I don't want to give too much away to anybody who's not watched it yet, Sadie Sink, who we liked very much in the All Too Well music yes, video absolutely. Uh, late last year, is transcendent in this season. She's always been the best of the That Age oh. Group actors on oh, Stranger yeah. Things. As
1: soon as she was introduced in season two, 100%.
0: She, I mean, she steals that show in this first half of the season genuinely well executed plot twists part two of season four drops july 1st i will definitely be watching at release which i didn't for this one so i'm excited to see where this story goes and i think they're ending at season five although honestly with the kinds of questions and character arcs that they're tackling so far in this season i don't understand how this isn't the finale
1: you're not the first person to talk with me about the new season but you are the first person to say anything other than are you watching it? Are you gonna watch it? It's always been like kind of a robotic like, you've been watching this show for a decade, right? Are you, you're you're gonna get catch up? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever, maybe. But you are the first person who has actually sold me on on getting down into watching this first half of the fourth season. I was gonna probably skip over this entire fourth season. I just don't necessarily feel that drive anymore. But if you're if you're giving it the Doctor Movies A-OK, then I think I I think I gotta go for it.
0: I mean, it's still Stranger Things. Sure, so what, sure, whatever pitfalls come with that, I think there. It's not a perfect season of half season. I it's structured like a season of television. I mean, it's a full seven episodes, which is like what the first season of Stranger Things was what, mm-hmm. eight episodes. I think so. Yeah. So, it's basically just four and five, but they're calling it four part one and four part. I don't know how long sure. four part two is going to be, but it, so it's not to say that it's breaking necessarily any new ground for the series but it's definitely returned to form in a way that I'm really happy with
1: well that's fantastic that's that's really all I need to know you know they want me to be excited about Finn Wolfhard and I just can't do it you know they <laughs> want me to be excited about Millie Bobby Brown and I, I find myself like it's harder for me to do that too now I used to think that she was she was great back in the day but then I saw her play Eleven in uh, the King Kong movies and stuff so I, I yeah, dropped that a little is, bit and... yeah I
0: forgot about that she's in those but I mean I'm a defender of Enola Holmes I think that's a good movie. <laughs> I it's didn't for fourteen see that, year old girls, but it sure. sh- there should be movies for fourteen yeah. year old girls. So good.
1: Yeah, I I think I think I'll I'll come back to four on your word alone, and because I I'm there for my boy, what's his name in the hat with the teeth? That fellow, oh, big fan of him.
0: Uh, uh, I don't know the actor's name, but Dustin is the
1: character. Yes, name. Dustin. H- him and popular boy
0: Steve Harrington. Yeah, Steve
1: Harrington. He's the best. He's always what I come back for. So. Him and your word, that's that's all I need.
0: But that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at PCR underscore podcast. You give us a like, follow, uh, whatever platform you're listening on. Please go ahead and engage with us in some way. It really helps the show grow. Next week... Oh, it's Kenobi time, baby. Hello there. Oh my god,
1: I need to get caught up, sir. My goodness. Um,
0: I am several weeks behind as well, so don't worry. I think you and me both are going to have to have ourselves a little Star Wars binge, but... I've been, as I said last week, I've been enjoying it so far, so uh, that's not the chore that something like Book of Boba Fett was. This episode probably did come out a little late because it's Father's Day weekend, and you and I are going to go see 2001 on 70mm on Monday, so... Yes, we're We're skipping
1: the elusive 70mm screening of Nightmare Alley to go see 2001, (laughs) A Space Odyssey, which is a toss-up, but yeah, I'll I'll give it to him.
0: But until then, we'll see you next week.
1: Adios, amigos. (sighs) to the